Hey everyone, welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, and today we are talking about loans, loans, and more loans. I know mortgage rates and the cost of debt is on everyone's mind, so we are bringing together three excellent lenders from across the spectrum of different types of loans to talk about what they're seeing in the market today. And they're going to share their knowledge about where they think rates are going. And I think really crucially about what loan products are working right now in today's environment. Our first guest you might recognize, she has been on on the market a couple of times. Her name is Chaley Ridge. She's the president and CEO of Ridge Lending Group. She's a real estate investor and has been doing this for a very long time. And we also have two new panelists joining us today. Kenny Simpson, who is a loan officer, works mostly in residential uh, with investors out of San Diego, and his wife, Crystal Moore, who is a commercial lender and has a huge depth of experience in commercial loans, and we're going to learn a lot about everything that these three lenders are doing today. So with no further ado, let's bring on our panel to talk about the state of lending in January 2024. Jaylee, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back. For anyone who didn't listen to your previous appearances, can you just remind everyone where you're located and what you do as a lender? Absolutely. Hi, Dave. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Um, Jaylee Ridge, Ridge Lending. We are a full service lender that focuses um, not exclusively, but primarily on real estate investors, residential and commercial nationwide. Well, we're in 48 states. We're not New York or North Dakota, but otherwise we've got a nice broad footprint um, we really put a emphasis on education, which I personally believe is missing in real estate investing from a lending perspective. It's not dear Google stuff, as I like to say. Um, very broad diversity in our loan products. Uh, I like to call it our, our lending menu. Um, lots and lots of programs in there. Maybe we'll get to some of that today. And I think otherwise, I would just share that I am a fellow real estate investor. So I do have a unique lens in all of this, being able to see it from both perspectives, an investor and a lender focusing on investors that I hope adds some credibility. Great. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to have you back. Kenny and Crystal, it's excellent to have you here for the first time. Crystal, let's start with you. Could you introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, absolutely. And thanks for having me here as well. I think one of the things about Bigger Pockets is it brings together these people with these unique backgrounds, just like you, Chaley. Um, my background is very similar. My company is Pacific Shore Capital. I'm a broker. Uh, I've been a broker for about 21 years now. The majority of our focus has been in California. We do do lending in other states. Of course, I have a lot of California people who refuse to invest in their home state. So we go out of state uh, for those as well. And I, like Chaley, am also a apartment owner and an investor. Uh, we also previously owned a property management company that managed about 1,500 units here in San Diego. Oh. I'm very happy to say that I sold that in late 2017. <laughs> and I am back to just 100% focusing on lending and investing in our own portfolio. Great. And what about you, Kenny? So I'll just kind of jump on the bandwagon with Crystal. So everything she said, but I do one to four residential. 
So because um, Crystal, when we got together, we've been together about 15 years, I had a lot of opportunity to work with real estate investors. So I had to get really good with tax returns and scenarios and self-employed and where to place loans. So it was kind of like, hey, this is an option. You need to figure these out. And so I kind of became an expert quickly. And then obviously with our background and real estate investing, managing and all that, we kind of are a wealth of knowledge for um, clients. And I really true, like you said, Kaylee, I believe in education and people just really can't get that out there. So working with a lender that has our background, just like you'd probably agree with Kaylee, is really important for investors and it helps them out a lot. So, you know, making moves and closing deals. And Kenny and Crystal, just to be clear, you're you're sharing a room and studio right now because you are married, right? <laughs> yeah. And just if you want to make it easy, everybody calls us K and K. So it's okay. just literally, uh, even on emails, everybody's just like, you know, it's too long. We're just going to go, hey, K&K, hi, K&K. So K&K is fine. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump right into uh, the meat of our conversation. I know everyone in our audience wants to know about interest rates and what's going on. So Jaylee, let's start with you. Can you just give us some context? Where on the mortgage rate roller coaster ride are we right now? And how is it impacting volume and activity in your firm? I'll start with the last part first. I think, you know, volume tends to be for um, lenders that focus on investors a little bit more steady than those that are exclusively owner occupied where people live because investors are always going to be investing regardless of the interest rate. So I think that we're a little insulated that way. I would say where rates are now, we saw a little bit of a reprieve at the end of the year. I'm sure everybody saw those headlines, et cetera. They're ticking back up just a little bit, but I think overall, I'm interested to hear what what Kenny and Crystal say. I think we're on the downward trajectory. The last three out of the four economic reports that we received came in a little too hot. You've got your CPI, right? Consumer price index, the jobs report, retail sales, all of those came in high and that's not good for rates. It was only the PCE that gave a little relief, the personal consumption expenditure for those that, that aren't familiar with those acronyms. But the good news is, is that that's the one that the feds follow most closely is that PCE. So I think we're on the down slant. I don't know that I agree with some of the announcements that are saying March is when we're going to see the, the first fed fund rate reduction, which by the way, is not the same as our 30-year fixed, just to kind of put that out there. Mm -hmm. The Fed fund rate is an indice, but not necessarily how it would tie to the 30-year fixed mortgage rates. I'm going to predict June for uh, the first Fed cut. Uh, we'll see. I love this, Jayla. Usually I have to like milk predictions out of people and you're just giving them right away. So I, I like <laughs> Get it out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Kenny, what about you? Are you seeing something similar? And what are your feelings personally about uh, the direction of rates? Yeah, I'm, so I'm a data nerd. Um, I love studying data. And just like Kaylee, to kind of back what you're saying, the data is mixed. And I tell people this isn't a straight down to the bottom. This is a little bumpy ride. It could be a little bit of a roller coaster. But clearly, look, we started this year off with a different Fed than last year. Not hawkish. Not We, we knew we weren't going to get the hikes. We knew we weren't going to have higher rates. We knew we weren't going to get punished. So I think we are, you know, maybe we ran up the mountain, I kind of said, and now we're slowly coming back down. So I predict rates will definitely start coming back down probably later more in the year. Look, if we're lucky, the conventional rate would have a five in front 
front of it. So keep our fingers and toes crossed. But I do agree with you, Kaylee, that probably a May, June uh, cut is inevitable. I think also he wants to get ahead of it and not wait too long until there's too much pain because then it's too late, which they love to do. But um, so I think it's just going to be slow and steady. But I think we did get a big rate reprieve now where conventional rates kind of had it first and then non-QM kind of just caught up in the last couple of weeks. And some of the private banks, we saw them too. They were waiting, I think, till the beginning of the year, a little bit hesitant. And so now we're just uh, cruising. And I think we're going to need more data to come in our favor to see rates tick down even more. Yeah, they always go down slower than they go up, right? Unfortunately. Yeah, I think especially in this case. Yes. I mean, we hey, it, it's six and a half, whatever is better than eight. I think we can all agree. So uh, that I'll take it. Yeah. And I, wa- I want to reiterate something that Chaley said earlier and w- that the Fed, although they influence mortgage rates, do not dictate mortgage rates. We talk about this a lot, but they are much more closely tied to bond yields. And while bond investors look to the Fed and when they make their decisions, they look to a lot of other things as well, um, like risks, recession risk, the price of equities. There's tons of other things that go into this. And so it does not, it's not a one to one relationship to Fed rate cuts to lower mortgage rates. The other thing is that mortgage markets, bond markets work in a different way than you might think. And a lot of what's happening and the rate reprieves that we've seen in the last three or four months or so are already factoring in some future Fed cuts, right? They're not waiting around saying like, oh, okay, they're going to f- cut rates in the future. And then all of a sudden they're going to change their activity. They are anticipating rate cuts and adjusting their investing behavior already. So a lot of the benefit of three potential rate cuts are, is already being felt by the market. So I just want to, to make that clear for everyone. I do want to hear one more final market prediction from Crystal's perspective about commercial real estate and what we can expect next year. But before we do that, here is a word from our sponsors. Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com pockets. Fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. 
Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Now, Crystal, the commercial market is a bit different than the residential market. So where are rates and are you as cautiously optimistic about the direction for the next year? You know, I am. Um, in terms of the commercial market, I know that it's very hyper local too. It really depends on what market you're in. Every market is slightly different. So for example, we're in San Diego. If you're in any of the major cities in California, for the most part, there's still some competitive loan options out there, but cap rates really haven't dropped enough to meet where we are with interest rates. So while nice. I am still seeing people being active, I'm seeing a lot more loan assumptions, people paying with cash, people borrowing against their stock portfolio to wait until rates come down. Hmm. Um, it, even I'm having a lot of conversations for people who have refis coming up in 2024. And the conversations we're having is maybe you wait and let it adjust up one time. And then you give yourself another six months to a year, depending on what your adjustment caps are. To, to wait and see when rates are going to be better. Mm. Because to your point, uh, a lot of the move, I feel, my prediction is that a lot of the move in treasuries has happened already. So we got that 100 basis point dip. To expect that we're going to dip quickly another 100 basis points, is it's really not in the data. So if you look at the last three cycles, when the Fed decided to pivot, the 10-year treasury dropped about 150 basis points in the 12 months following. So I really think we have another 50 to 60 basis points from where we're at today throughout this entire year. So we we dropped from October to de you know December 100 basis points. It's not going to happen that way this time. So I'm really guiding people to maybe wait or to lock in on the shortest uh, prepay you can possibly get. So that way you can be ready to take advantage of the opportunities when they come because they will come. We may be we may have to survive till 25. But <laughs> the lower rates yeah. will come. That is my prediction. Can I interject? I That's really smart, Crystal, um, uh, for the right individual, in the right circumstances. Letting that rate uh, just go ahead and adjust if you're if you're adjustable is coming due and looking at having your expert um, that you deal with and seeing if that's the appropriate move and letting it adjust once before you look to refinance and try and futuristically see how that's going to impact you. That's really a smart strategy. Yeah, especially because on commercial, as we maybe all know here, the audiences know, you're most likely locking in on a prepay. So once you lock the loan, if it's a, even it's a five or a three year or seven, you're locked in and you're not going to want to deal with that. Even on investors now, when I'm doing DSCR loans or non-QM, I'm highly recommending a one year prepay, not three, because I think they're going to regret that. So if anybody's listening, like prepays do matter because you might regret that later. And that's why if you can allow it to just and you can take that and you can make it work with cash flow and everything, uh, I think we all agree here that might be a smart move. But Chris also is going to jump in is the other issue you have is, you know, we have Fannie, Freddie, the non-QM that's very liquid and moving and fluid. Your banks, a lot of them aren't even lending too which like, they're just like, because of the, you know, you might want to discuss a little bit into that. I don't know if you guys want to get into that, Dave, but there is that obstacle too. Before we jump into that, I just, that's a great point. I just want to clarify two things for our audience to make sure everyone's following along. 
One is that when you look at non-conventional, a lot of commercial loans, there's a prepayment penalty. And so refinancing doesn't come without its negative consequences. And so the discussion here is that rather than refinancing preemptively and incurring some of those fees, you may just say, you know what, 24 is going to be a tough year. Let's let that adjustable rate go up this next year, because then in a year, maybe when we refi, yes, we'll pay those prepayment penalties or um, we'll have to pay some refinancing fees. But at least at that point, we might be locking in a lower rate. So that was number one. The second thing is that a DSCR loan, just to, to clear up that acronym, sets for a debt service coverage ratio loan. It's basically a residential loan that's underwritten like a commercial loan. So rather than using a person's individual credit and credit worthiness, it's underwritten on the strength of the deal, which is how commercial loans are underwritten as well. So with that, let's get back to what we were just talking about. And Crystal, I am curious about like what kind of activity is going on in commercial because unlike what Chaley said when she said it's a little more stable for investors, I think that's probably true a lot on the residential side of residential investing. But at least from what I hear, volume in terms of new purchases for commercial multifamily is down. And is that what you're seeing? Absolutely. Yeah. So volume is down and it's down pretty significantly. So if we're talking about the brokerage community in 2023, they had a pretty good year most of the year. And then about Q4, it started dropping off uh, some. It's just harder to make deals pencil. And there are transactions happening every day, but they're at a much lower level because you know, I have CoStar. So I look at transaction volume and it's really, it was down 50% in 2022. And then it went down another, you know, 35% in 2023. So transaction volume has come way down and I'm looking in my core market. Uh, other markets may be different. Banks are coming in and out of the market. So we have Fannie and Freddie financing just like, you know, the rest of the, the country, but most of our borrowers tend to be more what we call ma and pop investors. They have smaller buildings um, and they don't, they're not really comfortable with the yield maintenance prepay. Um, also, Fannie and Freddie have a lot more requirements in terms of looking at the loans, uh, like the, you know, property condition reports and things like that, that a small local bank or even a large uh, regional bank wouldn't necessarily have. So they try to stick to bank financing and avoid the agency debt if at all possible. Kenny, in your business, who are the type of investors or clients, I should say, maybe they're not investors, the clients that are still transacting and who are the most eager to get into this market? So we're in San Diego. So obviously everybody knows about house hacking, hopefully. This is the, I feel like San Diego is one of the best places to house hack. Um, we have a lot of military here. So you got the VA loan. A lot of people here are like, why buy a home? Miles will buy mm -hmm. a two to four. Um, obviously, Fannie and Freddie made our day with a 5% down on two to four. So that was a party because with FHA, <laughs> with FHA, um, you had to pass the self-sufficiency test, which means, you know, the, the building standing by itself, 75% of market rents has to be more than your PITIMI, which is hard to do in a place like San Diego. So the house hackers are here. They're, they're loving it and it's helping. Uh, a lot of people I work with too are home flippers, real estate investors and stuff. So they're getting fix and flip loans. They're getting private money loans. So I actually do a lot of refis to get them out of the nine, 10%. So that is very active. And obviously I work with the first time home buyers, stuff like that. Those are 
they're obviously always moving. But as far as investors, I would say the flippers and the house hackers and people like that are really active. And I don't think because interest rates are a little bit too high, I'm not seeing too many people like prior just jumping in the market that are just kind of normal investors. I think it's a little bit too high, but when rates come down, I think they'll be, they'll be swinging back in the market to, you know, start buying stuff. It makes more sense. Agreed. I love the house hack. It's, it's such a great way, for, especially for newer investors to get involved in real estate. I couldn't agree more. Um, the house hack is amazing. And Fannie Freddie really put us on the map for being able to offer something that it's probably um, accessible to a lot more than, than it was before. And just to chime in here for one minute, because we do share a lot of the same clients that are flippers and things. When we had that little rate dip in December, a lot of our house flippers ran out and bought like, you know, five, six homes that week. So you can see every time we get a rate dip and we know it's not going to be a straight line down, but every time you get that little dip in rates, it gives the flippers confidence that the market, the housing market is going to be strong and there's going to be a demand out there for them to continue doing what they do. So I, I think even if we see rates take down, you know, half a point, we're going to start to see more activity kick up because it just gives people more confidence, especially investors. Yeah, that's great to hear. It makes you think that there's all this sort of pent up demand sitting on the sidelines because back, you know, feels that way. when I first started doing this, you know, a 25 basis point change in mortgage rates would change absolutely nothing. Like no one would even notice it. <laughs> and now yeah. it's, you know, everyone's just like frothing at the mouth when there's like a little bit of a dip. And so it makes you wonder if we do get rates in the low sixes or perhaps even into the high fives, what type of resurgence in demand there there might be. Hey Dave, since we're talking about rates, I always want to take a minute and make sure that we educate, communicate that if you're not doing the math, I know everybody has, has got that focal point on the interest rate, but the rate may be so much less significant than what psychologically an investor believes it to be. It's, I think, largely dependent on the loan size. Um, and that actually mm -hmm. played into, I wanted to say, uh, kind of going backwards to Crystal's comments and, and Kenny's comments about prepayment penalty, you got to do the math. You have to understand what would be the prepayment penalty dollar-wise right now? Do you have the equity in which you can afford that? What is the difference between six and a half today and six and a quarter, six percent in six months? What opportunities would you be missing out on? If you're not running the numbers and all you're doing is waiting for the headline to say that interest rates have hit this mark, then you're really, I think, you're at a disadvantage and you will miss out on, on I think, real tangible opportunity. Chaley, I love that point that you just made. Uh, one of the things that we've done over the last year and a half with our clients is they've come in the office and we've sat down and ran best, middle, and worst case scenarios. What if rents drop 10%? What if rates go to eight? What if rates come down to six? What if they go to five and a half? So it gives you kind of a, an over, a high level overview of what things are looking like and what you can live with. Because the one thing I always say, and you said something similar earlier, is that when it comes to getting your financing, you really have to compromise. You're not going to get 100% of what you want, but you need to figure out what you can live with. And the beautiful part about real estate is it all comes down to the numbers. So it's very simple. If you just do the numbers, the answer will come to you. Right. And the math won't lie, right? The math will not lie. So exactly. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's a very good point. I think people are slowly, hopefully getting over the whiplash of these rising rates. I do think that it was like you said, somewhat psychological um, and this ending of what is probably going to be a once in a lifetime era where rates, you know, we were seeing conventional rates in the threes um, and it's, you know, people were sad <laughs> that, that that is no longer around. Uh, but, you know, the, the 
average rate over the last 50 years in a 30-year fixed rate mortgage is about 6%. And so we are returning to what is the long-term average. And um, personally, I think actually for the long-term health of the housing market, um, something closer in the five or six is probably better um, for more sustainable and regular growth. But maybe that's just me. You know, Dave, we're talking about those great rates. And I know like Kenny and Crystal, that conversation is being had multiple times in any given day. Um, they don't want to mess with their 3% or their 4% or their 2.5%, whatever. Statistically speaking, though, the, the reality of it is the percentage of people, even without without those rates prior to and with those rates now, the percentage of people that are going to keep those loans from day one and make 360 payments later to pay it off is <laughs> is this much. So I get it, psychological stuff going on there. Um, and, and I know it's going to be hard for people to get over, but the truth of the matter is, is that most of those loans will refinance or pay off at some point before 30 years is up. Well before. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a reason why mortgage rates are so closely correlated to the 10-year treasury. It's because mortgages are typically taken out, even though for 30 years, they last closer to 10 years. If, if they lasted 30 years, you would see a much stronger correlation between the 30-year treasury and mortgage rates. So that's a, that's a very good point. Good point. Now, Chaley, you said you alluded to this earlier that um, you have offer a lot of different loan products. Has the mix of loan products or are there particular types of loans that have been of interest to real estate investors of late? I would say the second lien HELOCs are doing pretty well because of the, for just the very reason that we just spoke about, people are really hesitant to give up those those three and four percent interest rates. So the second lien HELOCs for investment properties has been pretty popular. My favorite personal product is the first lien HELOC. It's called an all-in-one. It's kind of an arbitrage. If, if you've heard of velocity banking or infinity banking, uh, conceptually, that's what we're talking about here. Those have done very, very well over the last couple of years in this higher rate environment, I feel like for, for the right individuals, and that's the all-in-one. It's been phenomenal. And in fact, there's a simulator that we can use to compare a 3% interest rate against an adjustable 8% HELOC, first lien HELOC. And the math won't lie, as we just said, it's kicking the crap out of it. It's absolutely destroying some of those lower interest rates because it's about velocity of money and how quickly you're able to pay it off. Because remember, the, the mortgages we're talking about here, most traditionally, the amortization over 30 years and the amount of interest that goes into that, yes, we get very low payments, which is fantastic. We're one of the only countries in the world that allows their citizens to have this. But has anyone looked at a truth in lending statement before and seen what you're borrowing <laughs> versus what you're going to end up paying in interest? It's a lot. So anyway, to answer, that was probably a lengthy answer, Dave, but um, second lien HELOCs and the all-in-one first lien HELOC, are the, the two I think have really been um, profound winners in the last couple of years. Can you explain a little bit more about what that means and how it's even feasible that an, a loan product with an 8% interest rate would beat something with a lower interest rate? Yes. So one of the easy um, examples that I give that I think people can wrap their heads around uh, quickly because I think we're kind of preconditioned to only understand that closed-ended amortized product. And this is 180 degree different from that. But take a 15-year fixed and a 30-year fixed, okay? Both of these mortgages start at 400,000 as the principal balance. The 15-year fixed locks at 7% and the 30-year fixed locks at 4%. Without exception, okay, unless they know the math of amortization, everybody's gonna run to that 4% interest rate. But when you do the math, you're gonna realize you will pay $40,000 more on the 30 year 4% than you would the 15 at 7%. So it's, it's, I feel like that's the example that I can give where people initially can really understand it's velocity and time in which you're going to have the mortgage. An open ended line of credit, you're able to utilize your depository dollars 
gross rents, net income, driving balance is down significantly, and there's a compound effect of saved interest because interest is calculated daily based on the balance mm -hmm. and that month's rate. So there's a snowball that goes into daily and then monthly residual incomes that are left over. So it's a really, really powerful tool um, that I think investors especially uh, can utilize and have huge success with. Wow, that's, that's super interesting. And is the application process any different for it? It sucks. The application process sucks. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mince words. All right. So of I all like of all of the underwriting and and um, processing that we do, you know, everybody. If if you've been doing this long enough, you know that you used to be able to fog a mirror, right? You'd have a pulse and you could get a loan. Well, post 0809, that all changed, and it's become a lot more cumbersome to go through the gauntlet of prequal and underwrite, et cetera. Uh, the all-in-one takes that to another level. So I always want to set the expectation for our clients that are interested in this. Be prepared for a little bit of brain damage. It's well worth it, but the underwrite is a little bit more um, uh, intense. So now we're going to move to Kenny and Crystal and hear the advice that they're giving their investor clients and what products they're using. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Now, Kenny, what are, are you seeing similar things or what, what are you recommending to clients these days? You know, it's uh, that is a good program. I actually don't really do much of that, but I think people that focus on it do, it does, you know, wonders for people. I think for me and a lot of my business, it's pretty mixed, but since I work with a lot of real estate investors, I think a lot of people too, because you know, Fannie's gone so high and maybe DSCR. A lot of people just said, you know what, let's just do a DSCR if we can over sending a full doc loan in because it's not much different. So what we're seeing is, is people are like, I'm going to refi anyway. So let's maybe do a DSCR interest only. And when you look at the interest only, it's almost like dropping the rate down a point if you're paying principal and interest. So we're seeing a lot of that and, you know, fix and flip. So obviously there's a traditional, but I think the big pickup that I've seen is non-QM business. Um, because a lot of real estate investors just don't want to do the full doc thing. I think it's more like it's not much benefit and rate and let's just deal with this at another time. We know we can refile this up. So I think people are just kind of kicking the can down the road saying, I know I'm going to have a big refi year in 25 or something. And I think, you know, we all can agree on that. It's one of those years and they just want to make it simple and easy. Got it. And can you just explain to everyone what a non-QM loan is? Yeah, non-QM is actually non-qualified mortgage. So, you know, there's Fannie, Freddie, and there's Jenny, which is pretty much backed by the government, let's just say. So you got to, there's a certain amount of guidelines that you have to qualify for. And then non-QM is basically, let's just say, this has a different side of guidelines. It's a, like kind of an outlier. So those are primarily picked up and sold on the secondary market. Not that you can't sell Fannie, Freddie, or that. So back in the day, I don't know if you say when we had the loans where we had most of the loans were sold off to in the secondary market, right? Um, I just think we didn't have them because when we had the crash, we was all Fannie, Freddie, Jenny, because the government put our noose around our neck and had it tight. And so this is kind of opened up. So I think of it as if you're self-employed or you have issues with taxes or you want to go DSCR and things like that, where it's a little, you want to be a little more flexible on the guidelines. It's the simple way to say it. That's where you're going to be able to go those type of loans. Big banks and stuff are really not doing them. They just kind of strict to the more cookie cutter conventional type stuff, which is Fannie, Freddie, Jenny. Now, Crystal, you told us a little bit about how you're advising your uh, clients right now, but since you're here, I can't resist asking you about commercial real estate in general. It's like every other day, there's a headline about how there's going to be a, you know, a finance led or a funding led 
commercial real estate crash. What do you make of that headline and where do you see the whole commercial market heading this year? Well, the way I'm interpreting it is that for the most part, uh, there's always those outlier lenders that are usually much smaller and don't have the same auditing requirements as the larger banks that may come in and be more competitive here and there. But overall, what I'm seeing is that our commercial lenders are keeping their spreads pretty thick, thicker than usual, because there's sort of a storm of, of things, like a perfect storm. It's it's like they've got all these 3% loans on their books that need to start paying off. They are not sure about these looming reserve requirements that are going to come for them. So they're, they're trying to, you know, basically beef up their balance sheet as much as humanly possible. So that way they're, they're not, they're in compliance whenever that gets uh, decided on. And then there is this looming office debt that, you know, everyone is, is saying there's going to be a lot of uh, debt that's that's not going to be able to paid off, uh, be paid off. A lot of people are going to be underwater. We're hearing stories all day long about buildings that are 40, 60, 80 percent vacant and people are not returning back to the office. So that's really creating this uncertainty. And banks don't like uncertainty. They just don't. And when that happens, they pull back. So what I'm seeing with my lenders is that if you want to come with a straightforward multifamily deal, even let's say, they're really looking for stronger borrowers, better located properties, more conservative LTVs, and they don't even care as much about the big fish. So even, you know, the guy who has 10 million in liquid assets is getting a little better deal, but really not that much compared to his strength. Banks are more about staying safe right now than making exceptions uh, for, you know, strong pro- borrowers or well-located properties. So that's what I'm seeing uh, right now in the lending space uh, for conventional. I mean, we're still doing bridge and some other things like that. But if you want to go get the lowest fixed rate loan, it's just, it's tough out there. It's, it, you know, this week I had a lender come in the market this week, two weeks ago, they, were, they weren't even here. So, and then, you know, they'll, they'll go out of the market after they get their bellies full, like get a handful of loans and they'll step out and somebody else will step in. So that's what I'm seeing right now is just a lot of shifting of lenders and who's competitive. Doesn't that mean, I mean, just to interject there, doesn't that mean that we are on the precipice of some huge opportunities on the commercial space, right? Because I'm, I mean, I'm seeing the same headlines you guys are. Um, I expect, though, that I think that there's going to be some some real for the ones that are going to be the most affected, right? Like the the office space, like you said, Crystal. Yes. Um, I've been and I, I this is your wheelhouse. So I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about it. Um, but converting some of those commercial buildings, they're getting their expectations are they're going to get them for cents on the dollar and converting them into something that would be relevant for storefront and the the services that still require that. Right. Office stuff is. Right. Nobody is really I'm in class A office space right now, and it's about 30 percent occupied to, to your point. Wow. Um, so that's going to be, I think, what we can expect in the future. And those that are prepared and ready for it, I think are going to take advantage of it. I completely agree with you. Now, I, I love the narrative of converting office to residential. Uh, I just think actually getting that done is a lot more complicated. So once again, I think it's going to be reserved for the big boys who have mm-hmm. a lot of capital that can go through all the hoops and all of the things. Because if you think about some of these offices, they're really not, they don't have the kind of electrical and plumbing mm-hmm. and things that you need, the size of the windows. Like, I mean, you can get into the weeds with all of this stuff, but I, I love the idea. And I think that cities and counties are going to have to 
figure out how to make it work a little easier mm-hmm. uh, because there's just going to be a bloodbath uh, for office. It's it's coming. What about like um, uh, spa services or, or other services that it, so conversion for housing, great. But um, the other thing I'm hearing is things like, uh, you know, day spas or things in which you need to be there for the service, hair, nails. I mean, maybe this is just for the ladies that are listening, but um, <laughs> I think that that might be uh, something worth considering too. Kaylee, I've heard a little bit about that with medical too, like right. small medical offices, that that kind of thing that they're considering it. But also agree that the government in these cities might just meet, might need to do a little bit of partnership, public-private partnership to make these things work because a lot of them don't pencil for developers and, and investors given the amount of risk it, and the amount of work it would take. Yeah, I think that's what we kind of hear and see just like even development right now, development, what's, what's being worked on is getting done, but new development, a lot of the big guys are just standing still sitting on dirt because it doesn't make sense with the financing. And they, I mean, Crystal's got clients trying to you know do things. It's tough. Like it's uh, there's, it's limited for even multifamily. So, you know, I think we go through these tough times and the rates are high and we have inventory issues already and we can't build our way out of it. It's just, we're just going to be, you know, rates go down. We just have more of a problem right in the future. I mean, I don't know if you guys agree with that statement, but. No, that's a great, that's a great point. The other thing that I'm seeing besides just regular bank financing on the commercial side is a lot of people are really still looking for bridge debt. Now that said, I'm always surprised that people are so shocked by the rates. I mean, our bridge debt is best case 8.4% to, you know, nine and a quarter, which really isn't bad. That's low. It is low. Yeah. And people are are still complaining about it. And I'm like, what rock have you been living under the last few years? Because the best rates are around six and a quarter or six and a half. Then you know bridge is going to be at least a couple, you know, points above that. So well, prime's at eight and a half. It's like I would tell people, you yes. got to base it off that, right? Like, right. Yeah. So we are doing bridge debt, um, and I am seeing sellers being more flexible on pricing. So it is helping deals. Where I mean, I'm seeing deals taking four to six six months to negotiate with the same buyer just because they finally got the seller down to their price. Mm. Uh, And those deals are finally moving forward, but they're really looking for bridge debt right now. Well, thank you all three of you for all of your insights and information. This is super helpful. I know our audience is constantly trying to understand what's going on in the lending world, trying to get an edge, um, looking at new loan products. So we really appreciate all three of your time. And hopefully we can do this again soon because it was a lot of fun. It was fun. I appreciate being here. Thank you, Dave. Nice to meet you both. This was cool. Great to meet you as well, Chaley. And thanks so much for having us on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. This is fun. Yeah. All right. Another big thanks to Chaley, Kenny, and Crystal for joining us. I hope you all learned a lot from that conversation. To me, I think there are a couple major takeaways. First and foremost, I was pleased to hear that I am not alone in thinking that rates are going to go down slowly. I know a lot of other investors or people on social media are saying that we're going to be in for rates going down on this linear path. Personally, I think we're in for you know, a downward trend, but we're going to see some, you know, bumps in the road throughout the last couple of months. That's what we've seen. You know, we saw a dip in November, in December, rates have gone back up in January. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that, but it's good and encouraging. I think to hear that investment activity is picking back up and people are starting to accept rates where they are as somewhat of the new normal. 
The other thing that I think you should hopefully all take away is that different loan products perform really differently. And you shouldn't just assume if you track, you know, mortgage rate daily or some of these websites that just track a 30 year fixed, that that is the rate one that you're going to get. You might get a totally different rate. And two, that that is the only option available to you. There are so many different loan products available to investors, and they're very different from what a homeowner might be offered by a lender. And really, the only way that you can know what your rate's going to be and what loan products might be available to you is to actually go talk to a lender. And this, for some reason, I find that new investors, they all want to talk to an agent. They are scared to talk to lenders for some reason. When meanwhile, it's just a free way to know what your rate's going to be and what options are for you. It's like a no-brainer. So I really just recommend meeting up with a lender, finding out what you can do. If you need to find a lender, you can do that through BiggerPockets. It's super easy. You just go to biggerpockets.com slash lender finder. They can pair you with an investor-friendly lender, and you can learn all about the different ways you can finance potential deals. All right, that's all we got for you today. Thank you so much for watching, and we will see you next episode of On The Market. On The Market was created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kalen Bennett. The show is produced by Kalen Bennett with editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting is by Calico Content, and we want to extend a big thank you to everyone at Bigger Pockets for making this show possible. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market. It's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that. Or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.